You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to The Dev Show. I'm Deborah Eckerling, author of Your Goal Guide and founder of The Dev Method, which is my system for goal setting simplified. My vision is to give you the tools, inspiration, and motivation you need to figure out what you want and help you make a plan to get it. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited. It's going to be a great conversation. I know I say that every week, but I always, always mean it. Um, I'm Deborah Eckerling, author of Your Goal Guide and founder of The Dev Method for Goal Setting Simplified. I'm a speaker and consultant with a specialty in event outcome optimization. I make sure attendees get the most out of any live, online, or hybrid event, and it really all boils down to setting, planning, and achieving your goals, which is what I am all about. And every Sunday night, I lead the Goal Chat Twitter chat, and then on Mondays, I bring in friends to dive deep into the topic, and then on Thursday, it magically becomes an episode of the Deb Show podcast. So whether you're watching live or the replay, uh, we're glad you're here and choosing yourself and your goals because you can't, to get what you want, you need to know what you want, you need to set those goals, make a plan and turn it into reality. And that's really the essence of what we're talking about today, which is turning ideas into action. And it's, it's going to be a great conversation. Two of my guests are here. I've got a third person coming and it's just going to be oh so much fun. Um, and we have today Melody Johnson, who is, we like to call her friends of Annie. So our friend Annie Ruggles <laughs> likes to bring her people together. And that's how Melody became my people. And also Orly Zewi, who is, we're, we're friends through Innovation Women, but also we've spoken together at Jeb Pulver's Vaughn Conference, and we just keep intersecting. So we have to have you here, obviously, and Chris Cherian from Gatherly should be joining us as well. And what I would love to start out with is I'd love for you all to introduce yourselves and tell people why you're here and why you're so excited about talking about taking your ideas to action. So Melody, welcome. Great to see you. Yes, Deborah, thanks so much for having me. I am so pumped today to talk on a Monday, which is absolutely one of the hardest days to actually get on top of your goals. But props to you for actually going for your goals on a Monday. Um, but as you mentioned, my name is Melody. I'm the founder of The Course Consultant, and I help people grow their recurring revenue with customer success and retention. And so today I'm excited to talk about how to become more actionable, specifically as it pertains to growing that recurring revenue in your business. And I was so pleased to meet Deborah through Annie. So thanks so much for having me on today. Well, thank you for being here. And we're going to have lots of, we're going to be action packed and full of great tips because it's all about, you know, the plan. Well, and the ideas and the action. So it's all about everything. <laughs> Orly, welcome. Great to see you. 
Hi, uh, Deborah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. Um, my name is Orly Ziwi. I'm the author of Ready Launch Brand, the Lean Marketing Guide for Startups. I'm a speaker and a facilitator of Lightbulb Moments. I like to say that my superpower is that I make fuzzy clear. Um, because what I've discovered is disjointed, confusing messaging makes you invisible in the digital space and it keeps you from building your brand. Um, so that's that's what I do. I turn generic messaging into clear marketing messages that attract your ideal customers so you can scale fast. And in terms of vision and um, and a plan, you know, I actually start my book with a Japanese proverb that says, um, uh, a plan without vision is uh, is a I mean a vision without a plan is a dream, and a and a plan without vision is a nightmare, and that's because right because you need both you need to and and you know I'm I'm looking forward to talking about this tonight because the idea of a vision anybody can have a vision but if you never implement it if you and and by that I mean actually create a plan for implementation which is something that I think a lot of people don't think about is that it's not just implementing, but you have to set up the steps to make that happen. So I look forward to talking, talking more it, about that. It, and that's really is what it's all about. And, and, and you both, well, you, Orly knows me a little bit better than, than Melody, but <laughs> um, the dev method, it's determine your mission, explore your options, brainstorm your path. So you need the foundation, but then you have to figure out, okay, great. I've got this great idea. What's next? How do I get it from outside my head and turn it into reality? So really, what is that first step? I mean, what <laughs> you, got, you got the idea, sure. But what is the first step once you have that? Melody? Yeah, so uh, I think when it comes to planning, I'm a big planner. I love going in and getting a whiteboard, grabbing brainstorming activity. And I actually have a process in my membership and with my clients where I follow a similar process as I did when I was in the corporate training and development world, where we actually go through a, a, a series of steps where we analyze what's actually happening. And then we evaluate what do we want to happen? And then we go into the actual development of that plan, whether that's actually revising something in our project management, whether that's revising an existing system or tool or maybe migrating something. And then we actually put the pieces together. But to your question, Deborah, what is the first step? I always like to say, analyze what's currently happening because you don't know where you're going until you know where you are. Oh, so true. It, and <laughs> I don't have anything beyond that. It's so true. <laughs> uh, you need to take that inventory and see what your business is doing. And as an entrepreneur, what skills you have and how you want to, to use them to the advantage of your ideas. So, yes. Uh, Orly, what about you? What do you think is that first step? Well, because I focus on on brand um, as kind of that's that's the the goal is to clarify your brand. So I always talk about the idea that you know people jump into marketing and marketing is has a lot to do with you know selling people on whatever whatever that vision is, right? But if you don't know what you're selling, it's really hard to convince someone to buy it. So the first the first goal for me, the first step 
is get clear on where you want to go and also get clear on who you want to attract. Um, and, um, and so that, that would be, that's my, that's my advice. So what are some recommendations for that? I mean, clarity is one thing, but how do you get clear? Right. Well, the first step is you need to figure out who you are. And by that, I mean, you need to, you need to have a clear understanding of what you stand for, you know, what kind of where, where your, where true North is. And then you need to figure out who needs it. Because in my experience, everyone thinks that everyone needs what they do, which may be true. (laughs) But the problem is that it's really difficult to market to the entire world. So the first step in turning your vision into, um, into reality is you need to understand who needs it. And then you need to figure out what matters to them. And then you need to communicate your ability to solve a particular problem for that person. And it goes back to communication, because if you cannot articulate what you do, why, et cetera, then, you know, (laughs) you may as well be in a forest talking to yourself. Chris, you've made it. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on and the patients as well. Well, it, and you missed the intro portion, so I'm going to give you the opportunity. I already told people who you are, but why don't you uh, share a little bit more of that? And then you could jump right in and answer that first question. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Deb. Uh, I'm Chris, founder and CEO of Gatherly. What we do is we help virtual events be a little bit more seamless and help people get together more naturally in engaging virtual events. And then I uh, would love to jump into that first question. I didn't ca- uh, quite catch it. So uh, could you uh, share it with me? And then I'm happy to give you my, my two cents on it. No, you have to guess. No, I'm kidding. Of course. Uh, well, we're talking about turning ideas into action, but you really need that first step. And so Melody says, analyze what's going on. Orly says, know what you're selling and also figure out your true north and who needs it. So go. Yeah, Absolutely. I think in terms of taking that first step, one of the things that we talk about often within the founder community is what we call MVP or minimum viable product. And the whole idea here is you need to start testing what you want to work on, or you need to start testing your initial concept and start getting feedback as quickly as possible. And I think that one thing that happens to a lot of startup founders specifically is they start hoarding their idea to themselves a little bit, and they're really scared to share it with the world. Like, what if it's not perfect enough yet? Or what if there's just like one blemish or flaw in my idea that might nix the whole thing? Well, I, I think this sort of ties into a little bit of the previous answer that I caught. It's, it's okay if your idea isn't 100% perfect yet, or if your entire rollout plan is 100% perfect. I think like, uh, what is it? Paul Graham from, uh, from like the, the startup community talks a little bit about this. One of the key things is like start pouring water into your bucket And if some water spills out because there's a hole in it, well, at least you know where the hole is and you can start patching it. But if you don't know where those holes are, like you're just going to be using up like your entire roll of duct tape, like plexiglass, I don't know, whatever you have, trying to fix these holes that you don't even know exist. So start letting a little bit through. You don't need to turn the faucet on all the way, but start letting a little bit of like this idea go and like start putting it out to the public, even if it's not 100% perfect yet. I think uh, Reid Hoffman with like the founder of LinkedIn, investor at Greylock, What he talks a lot about is if you are releasing your idea and you're not embarrassed by it, it is way too late. And I guess this depends on like what community you're a part of. Like investment bankers might not feel the exact same way as startup founders. But I still think there's a premise there where being able to introduce your idea to the public before you're 100% ready is still really important. 
Well, it goes back to the whole done is better than perfect, right? Because if you wait for perfection, you're just going to be all by yourself with your ideas. Exactly. If I, if I could, I, I'd Please. love to jump on uh, to what Chris is saying, because you're, you're speaking my language, right? Uh, so, you know, I'm actually teaching a course right now where t- tomorrow my students are going to show me their MVP. So I, I'm all about the design thinking process, which an MVP is a big part of that. And, um, and, you know, for those of you who are not familiar with the design thinking process, it starts with empathy. And the idea is that you want to listen, you want to learn, you want to be able to constantly check in, and then you ideate based on what you learned. And then you create a prototype, the MVP, and then you test it. And basically, you go back to the beginning. And you do that enough times until somebody says yes, and not only yes, this is what I need, but yes, I want to buy it and would be willing to pay for it. Um, and um, one last thing I want to mention is Steve Blank, who is um, the uh, the person who who really came up with the whole uh, lean startup concept. And then Eric Rice, uh, Rice uh, wrote that book. But the idea is, you know, the way you begin is you get out of the building. You get out of the building and go talk to people. And to your point, Chris, I think a lot of startup founders, they hang on to their idea <clears throat> and they also hang on to the possibility that it that their baby could be called ugly. <laughs> I have a whole chapter on this in my book. So <laughs> I'm very familiar with the concept. But yes, I totally, totally support what Chris has just said. And just so you know, the MVP is actually part of one of my questions. You're just jumping the gun, but that's okay. We can we can groove with this. And I feel like we need to go backwards before we can go forwards. And what I would love your take on is what stops people? And I know you addressed this a little bit, but I think it's really important to, to spend a few more minutes on what stops people from starting new projects and creating new things. Um, other than, you know, the obvious they get to in their head or they're protecting their baby. Uh, what else is there? Uh, Melody, do you want to start us off? Yeah, just piggybacking off of what Chris and Orly have been talking about in terms of holding this baby idea in their mind and being afraid of criticism. I know it's being it's very hard, especially when you're establishing a new process, a new product or a new offer to really put yourself out there. But you really do need to really just push yourself out a little bit. And if you invest in the right mentors and the right types of people around you with your friends and colleagues and partners, you'll find that you'll be more likely to go out there and do big things. So as I was just listening to Orly and Chris talking about the lean model and MVP, I absolutely love that. Uh, One of the things back as I have trained in instructional design is this idea of basically uh, a, a methodology of how people learn and how do people actually engage with a product or a service or any sort of way to identify learning concepts and and implement it into their lives or, for instance, a business. And one of the ideas that I have constantly been an advocate for is to think about iterating as cyclical instead of as linear. And so if we look into process chart, we can see that a lot of times people think as 
step A all the way to step Z, when in reality, it's much more circular. What ends up happening is that in the creation process, we create something first, we get feedback, we implement off that feedback, then the second and the third and the fourth iteration. Your first iteration will never be the same as your fourth iteration. And likewise, we must stop ourselves from trying to think that we must be at the most perfect iteration for us to take that step forward. Yes. I, I completely agree with you. In, in the writing world, we talk about the plotters and the pantsers. So is it the idea of you know you, when you know your endpoint, it doesn't matter how you get there, but you need to get there. So I, I love your thoughts on that. What do you think, Chris? What stops people? Yeah, I, I want to touch on one point that Melody just mentioned, like fear of criticism. I think that that fear of failure is something that it's like a it's a muscle that we almost always have in the back of our minds that needs to be untrained and we need to, to undevelop that muscle almost where, especially with like MVPs and initial testing. Like I remember the first copy of Gatherly, the first copy of Gatherly had almost no like actual functionality. Our product looked like a really crappy version of snake from 2003. Um, and this is, this is back in 2020. So it wasn't even justifiable at the time, but Showed it to a couple of people because that's just like, we just wanted to see if the initial concept was worth it. And I remember uh, to Orly's point, what was it? I think my one of my college buddies at the time saw it, said, look, this exactly solves the problem I need. If you can make it look a little less crappy, I'll pay for it. I'll pay you 15 bucks for it next week. And we were like, great, we can absolutely do that. You know, like we jotted down as many notes. Um, it's like, okay, great. The server needs to hold 20 people without crashing. We got it to a point where it could hold 21 without crashing, like over delivering on that promise, right? Um, but that's that's the kind of stuff that that got there. Um, it's it was totally okay for my my friends and my roommates to tell me that this this kind of sucked. It was like, what what is this, Chris? Like, what have you built? Okay, but I see the potential. If you fix A, B, and C, we can move on. So it, it goes back to that iterative process that we've been talking about. But untraining that muscle or that that fear of failure, I think, is really really important. And when I think about like how we release new products to our clients or, or how we approach them with our new ideas. I think we're trying to we're trying to go for failure sometimes because when they tell us like oh Chris I have no idea what this new thing that came out of your your UX teams you know brains are like well, why would you even think about doing that that's still a really really important data point for us to learn about how the market is going what our clients need and want and we take those and we treasure those kinds of data points so I I, I see the little uh, lower third blurb here I love it go for failure is absolutely something that works um, and of course like stage that you don't want to go for failure when it's like you know, the last moment right before it's like a huge client deliverable, like, yes, of course, there are gates to this. But when it's very early stage, and when you're starting, it's okay to fail, people kind of expect that, right? Like, no one's even expecting you to start. So, you know, it's okay. I love that. Uh, it's so you're really over delivering when people aren't expecting you to start. So I agree with that. I fully agree with that. Yeah. It, that's great. I want to give a shout out to Michelle McNabb because or <laughs> because of her. Chris and I know each other. So thank you for tuning in live, Michelle. It's great to see you. Um, Orly, over to you. What do you think stops people from, from starting? So I think that's just such a great question. And I absolutely agree with uh, what Melody and Chris have said. Um, to Chris's point about fear of failure, you know, the way I, I kind of reframe it is don't be afraid of short-term failure for long-term success. And what happens is it's a whole lot less expensive to fail in the beginning than to fail when you've 
already built this thing. And, you know, I think that the whole lean startup concept is that you iterate and iterate until you get it right, but you're getting it right based on feedback. And so it kind of takes founders out of this idea that they have to figure it all out before they put it out there, which is much more, uh, which is much more um, viable as a concept, right? That we expect fail, expecting failure. I think it's, you know, we've all heard fail forward, fail fast, you know, but the idea is that um, in fact, failure is not even really the right word. It's more like a learning curve. This is your learning curve. And in the beginning, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, but the mistakes is how you learn. Right. Um, and so, um, and, and that's, uh, that's true of, of age and, and wisdom that comes from making mistakes. You know, it's really, you just make enough mistakes and you learn from them. <laughs> so I love yeah. the idea. We need to just invent a better word. So something that is not a failure, but learning curve sounds just, I don't know. I don't like that either. So think about it, you innovators, as we speak. But we've decided the word failure, it's good. And we need a word that gives failure that good connotation. Okay, we've solved the world's problems. Okay, maybe not. So tell me, friends, uh, how do you develop and track ideas? Because I know for a fact, most, if not all of you, Okay, everybody, and probably those who are listening or watching, you always have the Hollywood term, term is multiple ideas at various stages of development. So the question is, and I'm going to start with Chris on this one, uh, how do you track the ideas in development? Yeah, so let's like categorize these in like two different buckets, right? Like let's talk about like the really early stage ideas and then like ideas that are actually going through development. So uh, you, you might've noticed like, as soon as you asked that question, I was just sort of looking around me. Um, I was looking for my notebook because I mean, so I'm 23, but I still write everything down by hand. My engineering team has a joke that they're trying to find a product for me that will get me to move all my notes digitally. They haven't found one yet. Um, but no, every time um, I have an idea or actually more specifically, every moment I counter a problem that sounds like it might be worth solving, it goes right into the back of that notebook. So I literally have a back of the notebook section for these problems. And then anytime I want to explore it a little bit further, I take that idea out and then I, I use a full page to jot out like, okay, like who, like what part of the market is facing this problem or like what type of like market subsegment might be interested in this? What would my initial MVP or, you know, my initial approach look like? And then from there, like, you know, I, I play with the idea a little bit. And then this is the key that we were talking about. I go and share it with a couple of people. Right. I, I go and do that customer discovery, which is so, so valuable and like learn from the people who are facing that problem. One, OK, is this a real problem or not? I think there's a lot of people with great ideas, but those ideas are in search of a problem to solve. And this goes back to what Orly was saying, like not everybody in the world is going to need your solution, maybe, but most likely not. Um, so you really want to know the people who are going to want your solution. You really want to know them inside and out. And then we start doing like a couple of customer discovery calls. What that looks like is usually I just ask a little bit more about that problem, particularly when have they last solved it or when have they last tried to solve it? And then once you start hearing things like, yeah, like I've been trying to solve this problem for the last three months. I have these like duct tape and wired together solutions that aren't, they're kind of working, not entirely working. Well, that's when you know you're onto something and you want to move that towards like the in actual development phase. Uh, so that's like the, the breakage point. I highly recommend a book called The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick. If you're interested in, yeah, there, I, I see you really loving it. If, if you want, you can jump in. 
I, I love that book and actually made my students, I taught at Drexel in the Close School of Entrepreneurship for several years, and it was required reading for my students. And what I love about that book is, you know, you never ask your mom, I'm, and I am a mom, so I can say this with full authority, because your mom is always going to love whatever you do. And, the, and then a part of the mom test, which is so brilliant, is you don't ask yes or no questions. Right. Do you love it? What are they going to say? No, I don't love. I mean, so, you know, you go back to something else that I talk about and I talk about this in my book, too. If you ask the wrong question, the answer doesn't matter. And what you want are always open ended questions, questions that are going to help you learn, help you grow, help you really better understand the, the target market that you're seeking. But, yeah, I would highly recommend that book. Uh, it's just a, it's and it's a fun read anyway. And as a mom, I I really appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, absolutely agree. Um, and we'll love to catch up later after the show about, about Philadelphia because I, I went, I was in uh, school over at Philly across the street at Penn. So oh, no kidding. Yeah, I actually, I, I taught at Penn also. <laughs> Amazing. I love this. So we'll, we'll, that's another, the, the, I love the, the natural connections. That's but great. no, that's exactly it. Um, so early stage, you don't need to build too much. I don't think you need to build like a, a crazy like Notion, Airtable, Excel project database for an idea that's in the back of the book. Like just get out there and start asking people. Well, once your idea is in development, that's when you want to start putting together like this framework of like, okay, like now I have like a, you know, a folder full of every customer discovery interview I have. Like I have a, a Figma folder for like these mockups that I'm iterating through. And that's when you can start to really build a process. But um, to, to cap off my answer, I think the, the early stage is really where people over engineer when they should just be getting out, asking questions and, and then moving from there. If I could add, sorry, if I could add one other thing, which is a book that I recommend to my students called Back of the Napkin. Do you know, do you know that book? So I have it, I actually have it right here because I'm having my students work on it. And it's a fabulous resource. If you want, it's by, uh, the author is Dan Arom, R-O-A-M. And it's literally the idea came from drawing on the back of a napkin. So uh, for people who are uh, who are who have trouble expressing their ideas quickly, it gives you the tools and the process to do that. So just wanted to just wanted to just shout out, give a shout out to that. I just added it to my, my Amazon list. And sometimes I'll, that's what you need is the napkin. That's when the brilliance comes. You know, always have the notebook next to your bed because something brilliance going to come out at you or I say you can always ask ALEXA or Siri and just tell them to remind you if you're too groggy to write it down but those little ideas and then putting it into a system back of the notebook and then graduating it into the actual notebook is awesome and Melody what about you what what do you do to organize those ideas yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and talk a little bit more about taking that idea once you've graduated, it's in the notebook, what's the next step? I am a huge visualization person and I love doing brainstorming and mapping out on different systems and tools. Flowcharts are my friend. And one of the things that I've recently really enjoyed doing is to actually brainstorm different plans and projects within ClickUp. I'm, I love ClickUp. I'm kind of obsessed with it right now. And what I like to do is actually write out what's the relationship between this idea, what would need to occur for this to actually happen. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of the clients that I work with actually has a group co coaching program. And in that 
uh, conversation with this client, we were working through how do we organize this space effectively for the team to manage these existing clients while also making it easy for ourselves to replicate and duplicate this work again and again and again without having to do so many manual tasks. And so what I did was we actually were talking through during one of our meetings, organizing the space and the list and the tasks and standardizing them. Then we started brainstorming, well, what does that look like? How do we have these connections? How do we tie this into one fluid piece? And so one of the things that I loved doing with that process was actually seeing these ideas just spurt out from these conversations and then seeing it actually play out real in real life on the screen and turning that into a real task. And so I really love doing that because I know that work is going to start impacting hundreds of students. And I just think that that's brilliant. It's well in brainstorming, the B and the dev method is brainstorm your path. So you say brainstorming, I say, yes, awesome. Love the tool. It looks absolutely amazing. Uh, so Orly, do you have something to add about the process of developing ideas? Yes, I actually was just thinking about the design process uh, doodle. I don't know. I'm sure you guys have seen it, right? It's just a mess, a mess, a mess. And then all of a sudden it's a line right? Because design thinking, as I think Chris mentioned, it's not a linear, right? There's no linear. Creativity does not work in a linear format. Pe creative people don't think in terms of A to B to C, you know, that's more of a financial model. And that makes sense, right? But from a creative standpoint, and especially when you're thinking about, you know, moving to the next step, as Melody was talking about the, you know, putting, putting, uh, making your vision real, you first have to get, you know, really clear on what that vision accomplishes. And then you can, it's like reverse engineering, but you do the, the creative process is how you go from an idea to something that could be viable. And then of course, there's another piece here, which is viability looks different depending on who you are. You can be an inventor, and inventors are not entrepreneurs, right? You can be an entrepreneur who's also an inventor, but you cannot be an inventor who's also an entrepreneur. It just doesn't work that way because inventors aren't thinking of scaling. And so another thought I had was, is this something that you want to scale? Because that's a really important question to ask because sometimes an idea doesn't have to be commoditized into a full-blown business. It could be something that's an add-on to something else or it's something that you're working on that could that could kind of dovetail into an existing existing system. So um, that was you know so that that just is what what I um, you know what I was thinking about when when you guys were talking. Yeah, absolutely. And my my two cents here are that like I think there's been a lot of resources that have been cropping up over the last year, two years, specifically for ideas like the the ladder that you just mentioned, Orly. Even if they're not just about to to blow up and scale. There's been so much in like Silicon Valley and, and, you know, Israel, China, like all these like startup hubs about hyperscaling, hyper growth. How do we go from zero to a hundred to a thousand, you know, like forget unicorns, we need decacorn companies. <laughs> With all that being said, right? Like this is like in, in, insane, like inflation madness and, and valuation growth here. With all that though, I think there has been some, a lot of people who have realized and a lot of great like venture capitalists, banks, and like smaller funds that are saying like, look, like, there's still massive value, even if your idea isn't going to be the next, you know, StreamYard like we are on now or, or Hopin or Uber, whatever it might be, we're still happy to invest in it. So um, I do want to encourage people that 
aren't necessarily ready to get in that, that hedonistic uh, venture capital treadmill. If you have an idea that falls into the category, like there are a lot of resources out there, absolutely explore them. Don't let the fact that, oh, I'm worried that I'm not like a, a scalable founder. Don't let that stop you. That's really good point that you're bringing up because we're, we're talking about turning ideas into action. And there are probably a gazillion different ways we could take this conversation. And it is the, we, we have the writer, you know, taking the idea, writing it, turning it into reality. We have the inventor who um, may or may not should, could be an entrepreneur sense. Um, and then people do build businesses to scale and sell. And other people build businesses because that is what they love and enjoy. And I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question that's completely off target. What is it that you love about what you do? Because you're all very passionate about this topic and your companies, your businesses. Why? Orly, why do you love what you do? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me first. You're so, welcome. <laughs> anytime. Uh, so I, it's taken me a while actually to figure this out, why I love working with founders and the whole startup ecosystem. So my dad was a, an entrepreneur and um, he's not, he doesn't watch YouTube. So I can, I can say this, he's retired now, but um, he was never able to really fully realize what he wanted to do. And, uh, and so the lesson that I learned uh, being the daughter of an entrepreneur, is that whatever happens to the entrepreneur impacts their family. And so for me, when I help a founder, I'm not just helping the founder. I'm thinking of a little girl who maybe is having a better a better experience, right? Is feeling a little less concerned because her parent, father or mother um, is um, is doing better, you know? And so that's really what drives me. And in terms of the messaging, because, you know, that's kind of my my area of expertise is around clarif clarifying your message and your brand and all of that. Um, that also comes from my experience growing up in multicultural environments um, where I, I'm multilingual. I grew up in, in several on several continents in several countries. And I did that as a person who did not know the language, having to figure that out. And so that has really informed the work that I do because I'm able to read between the lines. You know, I can tell a lot about a person's body language, even if I if I don't understand what they're saying. Um, and so, so those two things, I would say, you know, my my experience as the daughter of an entrepreneur, and then my own education uh, in multicultural environments. That's amazing, and, and it really does tell you that your life informs what you do. I mean, you all do very similar but very different things and a big part of that is your background and what brought you to that passion so melody why do you love what you do yeah so i also similar to orly i love making an impact i believe that teaching helps to shape the future of families lives and what's possible for them i was a teacher before i became an instructional designer and then moved on to own my own business helping other course creators out there grow their recurring revenue for their membership or group coaching program through customer success and retention and so i really love the fact that i can walk in and either virtually meet with somebody to talk through some ideas to get their ideas out into the world. And the fact that I can help shape 
not necessarily give them the ideas, but shape the ability for them to reach more people and support their families and also make a difference in the world. I think that's really noble. And then in terms of the customer success and retention strategies, I know that founders who are trying to reach their seven-figure mark or maybe even their first six figures, there is a lot of change that happens at these stages. And a lot of the times when we're hiring new people or trying to standardize a process or trying to come up with a better way to manage customer communication, it can be very stressful. And that mental health can be very, very hard for that individual as well as their families. And I absolutely wholeheartedly believe that mental health is so important, especially if you're going to continue to have a sustainable business. And so my hope is that in helping people with customer success and retention through process and systems, this can help to streamline things, make it easier for people so that maybe the founder can take a vacation and be worry-free when they do it instead of worrying that things are going to break and fail and they don't have that system or process in place. Oh my goodness, that's such a good point. And people, I think we can, you know, everybody has something to stress out about, whether it's like the little S or the big S, but giving someone the freedom because they're confident in their business or be able to take mental health days or breaks is absolutely huge. So good on you. Love that. And so Chris, why do you love what you do? Yeah, yeah. Happy to jump into that. Just want to uh, follow up, Melody. Like, love, love, love that you you bring that up. I think it's so important. There's so many founders that I meet that just forget that their mental health isn't optional, right? Like, they, they treat it almost as optional. It's like, oh, it, it's fine if I just push myself a little bit harder. Like, the business needs it. Well, yes, but the business also needs you to work tomorrow and the day after, right? <laughs> so, like, you you need to like be able to build up like sustainability. So, really want to echo what you're saying, and it's really important. Um, to answer the question. Uh, I'll start with a little bit of the story. I think back in middle school, I had started to learn how to do magic tricks because middle school Chris was confident, like this is the way he's going to become popular and this is the way he's going to, you know, get that girlfriend. That that's everything. Uh, middle school Chris was in for a very rude awakening. But with that being said, um, I think one of the things that I learned from it when I when I picked up magic tricks all the way back then was one of the things that I love to do is inspire awe and like amaze people, right? And that's always a really good effect that you get. Um, and I don't know if back then I was getting it because it's like, oh, there's like a little kid, like good for him. But, you know, as, as I went on, I was like, wow, this feeling of like inspiring awe is a lot of fun. And the other place I got that other than the, like the, the, you know, the magic tricks was solving problems. Because when we started to solve, when I started to solve problems with my friends, people would always have this reaction of like, oh, wow, it's really that easy. Like I can do this. Like you, you took care of something off my plate. Like I love that. And I really became addicted to that feeling of, of problem solving. And I describe myself as a little bit of a recovering political science major because that's where I first wanted to do it. But I found out that I could do it much more quickly and iteratively with startups. Uh, and that's why I fell in love with, with startups and, and entrepreneurship because I can solve these problems and solve them for a lot of people, hopefully, if, if we, we build the right solution, craft the right team and, and deploy it correctly. Uh, so that's why, that's why I do it because I love solving problems and it's the, one of my easiest ways to, to get that awe effect from people. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, Melody or Orly, do you have something as good as like liking magic in middle school that you have to share? Nope. Okay, <laughs> uh, the round goes to Chris. Well, can I can I say that I was an artist and that I I um, love using art as a way to communicate, and so I actually won a, a drawing contest when I was eight. I love it. 
I love it. Well, there's a there's a great talk. I'm trying to remember. Um, there's a there's a professor over at ASU who talks about awe as an emotion. Um, I, I'm, the name is escaping me. It, come, it might come back to me in a moment. But she talks a lot about awe and like storytelling and and art. Uh, so whether whether it's like magic tricks or like dance or, or art, um, like painting. I think that that understanding that feeling of awe is really interesting, especially when you're trying to like pitch to clients or pitch to investors, right? Everybody wants to feel like there's something they're part of something like bigger than themselves. And that's like one really good emotion that that I harp on with my team. One of the things that it, in my book that starts in determine your mission, it starts with visualization. And I talk about when you think of the life you want, what does that look like? And if you're having trouble, go back to what you loved as a kid. Because there are there are clues there. You know, I've always loved to talk and I've always loved to write. So hello, here I am. Um, there, there are clues in your past, the things that you love that you're the most passionate about, they were there. So these are really great examples. Uh, did you, I, I feel like we're making Melody feel bad. Did you want to chime in? Oh, I was I was just thinking when you asked back in high school or if you had something and I was thinking high school, I'm trying to think what I was supposed to be doing in high school. Um, but, you know, it kind of reminded me not of the high school piece, but one of the things that I remember as I began my career in teaching um, was I spent a summer in Chicago teaching at a school and I met this young girl named Diamond. And what a beautiful name, of course. And Diamond was very smart very quiet. She wasn't someone who talked a lot in class. She didn't raise her hand frequently. And as I got to know her, I found that she had this beautiful writing skill. And so I uncovered, you know, in essence, a diamond. And as she was writing, she talked about her hard life and how she wasn't able to have a lot of opportunities, how she was bullied in school and how she wasn't afforded a lot of the opportunities um, that she wanted to go to a school where she felt safe. And so as I was thinking about it, and it still makes me emotional just thinking about it, is that I want to uncover diamonds. I want to uncover gems and to help other people become diamond seekers as well. And so as I was thinking about that, I was like, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. And helping uncover those diamonds for, you know, other teachers and other instructors to touch more people is really, really something that I believe in. It, it really goes back to the how you help thing, the mission behind what you do, why you do, because when it is to help others, you have that fuel and other people want to get on board too. Oh, you're helping. Great. I think in terms of, I, I guess, starting a movement, you know, let's, let's get everybody excited. Let's get everybody loving what they're doing. Let's support them. Um, so they can live a better life, which goes back to why I do this. So my friends can inspire my people and each other's community. And then you all get to meet each other too. So win, 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 win. Awesome. So what tips do you have um, for sharing? <laughs> I think we, we've done a lot about the, the developing. Um, but if you want to chime in on that as well. But what are your best tips for creating and sharing your MVP? Helping get that out into the world. Uh, you want to start us, Chris? I know you do. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, I think you can you can come at it from two angles, right? So you asked about creating and developing, or yeah, yeah creating and developing, uh, as well as like sharing it out. So talking mm -hmm. the creating and developing side, usually people need a team and they want to work with it. 
uh, like work with other people, whether it's like, oh, I need a software engineer to accompany me, or I just need a co-founder or somebody to work alongside me, or and then you start to build out your team. Um, there's a quote that I keep on the on the wall next to me. Um, I, I heard it from a book like way back when. Um, I, I think like the, the abridged version, because it's way too long, is when you're trying to go out to sea to, to build a ship, don't ask your team to go out and like drum up the wood and like, you know, the masts and all of that. Instead, give them a love of sailing, right? Give them the love of the open waters, the waves. Like that, that's essentially what you need to do. So I think um, great TED Talk, quoted often, Simon Sinek, start with a Y. Um, it goes all the way back into like, look, like you can talk about what you're doing and people will understand it. But if you talk about why you're doing it, people will love it. People will come to help you. People will, will jump on board to be a part of this mission, which is, a, which is a great segue from what we were talking about a moment ago, right? So I think that's what people really want to want to hear. Like they want to be a part of something bigger. They don't want to just do something, right? Um, it, it goes back to that why and like what you're doing um, rather than just like the what you're doing. And then in terms of like the sharing, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I'll, I'll lean back on the mom test again because it, it talks a little bit about this. Get, you know, just get it out there and, and don't be afraid to share it. Uh, I think like I remember that one of the stories from that book was saying like they're trying to develop a, a product for like exercise regimes for like first responders. And they're talking like, oh, like, you know, I wonder how we can do this. Like, can we just go out and like, you know, find our friends and family that might have first responders in their networks and things like that. And like the founder of the company just said, like, guys, guys, hold on, like, I'll just call them. Right. Um, and then proceeds to dial the non-emergency non number um, of like the local police station. Right. And then it's just like, hey, can I come in and chat? Right. Um, so I think like just reaching out to people who might be prospective clients is something that usually works. Um, I When I do it, um, we first approach it from a non-sales context. We, we make it very clear. We're not trying to sell them something. We're, we're not looking for their money. What we care a lot more about is their ideas and their thoughts. So we set up these frequent roundtables for our customers, whether it's like event professionals or marketing leaders. We ask them to come together and say like, hey, like, if you, you know, if you, if you have, if you're working in a business already, feel free to use the like, hey, like, here's a $15 Starbucks gift card for 15 minutes of your time trick. Otherwise, you know, just ask people for their kindness. Um, but yeah, we usually get people together and ask them to give us quick feedback. And usually what's really beautiful is they'll start ping ponging off of each other's ideas. They'll be like, oh, Deb, I love what you said about this product. I think that makes a lot of sense. But if you add one more thing, that's how our team would start using it, right? And then that's where like a lot of these beautiful brainstorming ideas come from that ping ponging off of each other. Springboards are your friend. I love that. Um, Orly, what about you? What are your recommendations for creating and sharing? your MVP. So, um, you know, as Chris was talking, I was thinking about the fact, so I, 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 um, I facilitate um, different types of workshops. And one of them is a design thinking workshop. And there's always this, um, the beginning is always, you know, how might we, how might we solve whatever the problem is. And, and one of the things that I've learned from, from uh, facilitating these workshops is that move around. Like when people walk around, they're more creative. And when they work in teams, they're also more creative because they've got people right there they can they can uh, bounce ideas off of. You know, as Chris was saying, this sort of ping ponging thing. Um, and then and then the other thing is, you know, if you want to get your idea out into the world, um, you need to you need to find the people. Uh, that's like the first step is find the people who will get excited, not just want this, but get excited about this. I you know I refer to them as early adopters because that's your first level of customer is your early adopters. So what you want is instead of thinking about making a sale, think of it as making a relate, creating a relationship, because if you can connect with early adopters who love your idea 
they will not be shy about sharing it with their network. And ultimately, you know, as a startup, um, wherever you are at the beginning, right, in, in terms of your idea, it's what you want is the idea to live, grow, and be shared. And, and so, um, you know, people talk a lot about community right now. That's a big buzzword. But really, it's about engagement. And storytelling is a big part of that. Um, and stories are how we connect. So you give people a chance to be part of your story and then add their own piece, piece to that. That's awesome. I love that. Give people a chance to be part of your story and then it grows. Fantastic. Melody, your turn. Yeah, so I think when it comes to putting it out there, I just want to just say that it's incredibly hard to take that first step. The following steps, they'll come a lot easier, but pushing yourself out the door, it's going to be just this big experience and you're going to be hemming and hawing and there's going to be all this anxiety. So really just identifying first that being uncomfortable is okay. Failure is okay. And also realizing that that discomfort is probably a good thing. And so if we embrace that comfort, discomfort a little bit, surround ourselves with people that actively engage us in good conversation, ask really good questions, as you said, Orly and Chris, you've mentioned before as well, to allow us to evaluate based off of what that information is to determine what we want to do with our business, what we want to do with that next goal that we have. Um, I'm as a part of a membership and I also run a membership. And so as a part of a bigger community and having invested with other coaches and consultants, I often find that I want to be challenged. And sometimes I really don't agree with feedback from other people because I'm so close to this idea. It's my baby. It's what I want to do. And Sometimes it takes a little while to really listen to the feedback and hear it very objectively to take away that emotional connection with that product, with that service, with that offer, with that sales page, and to just allow myself to listen. What's the heart of what they're trying to tell me? Is there an aspect that's true? And of course, there's always some times where you are going to have your own opinion. You might differentiate um, from what they want to do because at the end of the day, it's your decision to make. But it's also good to kind of sit there and say, what do I want out of this? Is this aligned with my goals? And is this aligned with the lifestyle that I want to lead? If that is a true yes from you, then take all that feedback and then move forward. That's fantastic. I have to add one little little caveat because I love everything that you're saying. And this is a big pet peeve of mine from, from ages ago when I was leading more writer-specific groups is before you put your ideas out in the world, know them so that when you get that feedback, you can be objective. Because if you, if you, so it's finding that, that line between, you know, yes, done is, done is better than perfect, but you still need to know where it aligns with yourself and your business before, so you can evaluate the feedback properly. Um, I was once in a round table and everybody was giving this woman wrote one chapter of her book and everybody was telling her how to change the plot, the character, everything. And I'm like, no, don't do anything. You need to know it yourself and then go back. At, and then you're better able to ask the right questions, interact with the right communities. So this is, it's like a, it is like a crash course 
and product development, which is amazing. Thank you all so much. Uh, what I would love from each of you now is to gift a goal to our audience, whether they are watching or listening or catching the replay. What is one thing they can do today, tonight, tomorrow that's really going to help them turn their ideas into action? Melody, do you have a goal that you would like yeah. to share? I do. I do. So um, I work with a lot of membership owners and group coaching program founders and subscription-based businesses. And one common goal is really to grow their annual recurring revenue. And if you're in a subscription-based business, the goal is to grow that revenue so it's sustainable for you and to also employ your team uh, and make it sustainable for them. So what I really recommend is to identify what is the annual recurring revenue goal and then identify what is, of course, your monthly recurring revenue. And then looking over at your retention rate, how many people are actually actively paying you and staying in. And we can go, I can just talk about this for a long time. But the first thing I think is really important is what's your big goal? What's that ARR goal? Is all of your intention, all the tasks and all the projects aligned with that goal? And what are some roadblocks that are keeping you from that goal to keep that ARR growing and also keeping the, the customers you already have continuing to pay and return back to you? So yes. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to piece it down a little bit. So the goal is to find a way to grow your annual recurring revenue, find the roadblocks and bust through them. Yes. And I do have like free tools that actually help people do that. So I'd be happy to share those tools because it's a, a big ass to say, yeah, just just figure it out. You know, just calculate those numbers by yourself. Right. You're all like math wizards. Right. Um, but yes, I do have a free tool that I am happy to share. Deborah, but I don't know if that's later on in, in the show. So well, well, after we do the goals, I'm going to let give you the opportunity to tell people where they can find you. So that would be the right place to share that. Sounds great. Like, and everything will also be in the show notes if you go to the devmethod.com slash goal, uh, sorry, the devmethod.com slash blog, uh, you can get the recap to this and all the previous shows as well as the links to the guests and their suggestions. And since I mentioned it already, you can learn more about me at the devmethod.com slash goals. Okay, Orly, what is your goal? So I was thinking back of something that Chris talked when he talked about Simon Sinek. Uh, I just want to say that si that TED Talk is what my entire practice is built on. Uh, when I realized that the why was really what what people needed, um, I think the why is that's that's the the kind of the the golden goose or the the secret sauce, if you will. And so I would um, one thing I would tell people is watch that TED Talk. Uh, at one time, it was, I think, the number one most watched TED Talk ever. I don't know where it sits now. Um, and then there's something called um, the, um, it's, a, it's a lean marketing. Uh, it's a tool that helps you organize your business from a, a lean marketing lens. Uh, it's, the, it's a canvas. So it's called the lean, um, lean, business, uh, lean business Canvas. There's a business model canvas. There's a lean business model canvas. That's the one you want. You can find the template online. And what's great about that is you, you're using visual tools to map out your business, to map out your idea. And, um, and so, and that's something you can download for free. It's available online. Um, I have my, my students actually use that as well. And it's a great tool because you can quickly see 
like one of the things it asks you is what's your value prop, which is another way of saying what's your why. Um, and what I have found, and this is this is something that everyone does, when you ask them about their business, they tell you what they do and how they do it, because that's what they know. That's what they do every day. But that is not what people care about. What they care about is why does it matter to them? And so I would say the step number one is get clear on your why. I am all about the why <laughs> and, you know, the mission behind what you're doing. And I, I'll also put in the recap. It's in the chat as well. Uh, the, TED talk, the TEDx talk I just did in the magic of your motto. Similar concept. When you know what you're all about, you are in better alignment to grow yourself, your business, your life and create the life that you want. So fantastic. All those links will be in the chat or in the recap. And Chris, what is your goal to gift? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like both the answers before phenomenal. Uh, what I can jump in with, I, and the first answer I was going to give is like, oh yeah, like reach out to, to the five people that you've been holding out on. Right. But then I thought about that as like, if I was listening, would I do that? Probably not. So I thought, let me, let me pare the goal down a little bit more, make it a little bit easier. I think everybody has people that they need to reach out to, right? Whether it's like, oh, this is the person, if I could close this deal, it would really change my business. So like, this is on my list of people I should reach out to, or this is like the, the sales and marketing advisor that I really need, right? So I should reach out to the VP of sales at Spotify or whatever it might be. So what I would challenge people to do, the goal is to literally just take a post-it note and write down the top five people that you need to like cold reach out to you or, or get introduced to. And then stick that sticky note like somewhere visible so that it bothers you every single day until you do it. So there's there's my my challenge. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yes, because it needs to be in your office. I always make this motion because all of my stickies are in this part of my desk, uh, along with all my goals and my to-dos and my rules and everything else. But really great, great goal. Because what's stopping you? If it's right in front of your face, it's only you. Oh, so, absolutely. So uh, very good. I mean, these are all great goals. Um, so Chris, where can people uh, learn more about you? Yeah, uh, you can find out more about Gatherly on gatherly.io. Uh, easy, easy to remember website. But if you'd like to reach out to me directly and chat with me, I respond to email best. You can reach out to Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at gatherly.io. Excellent. And Orly, where can people find you? So I actually am on LinkedIn all the time. So uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's a great way to, to find me. Um, my website is zwi.com. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter. So it's at Orly Zwi. Uh, it's, you know, when you have an unusual name, it makes it easy to, <laughs> to find people. Uh, and then you can also go on Amazon and find my book, Ready Launch Brand, The Lean Marketing Guide for Startups. Fantastic. And Melody, now you could tell everybody about your resource and where they can find you. Yes, awesome. Well, I'm so thankful to be here, Deborah. My resource is available on my website at www.thecourseconsultant.com. It's the revenue retention calculator that kind of does all the heavy lifting to calculate your retention rate and what your goals are and has some really great resources. And of course, email is also a great way to connect with me. And you can reach out to me with any questions about your group coaching program curriculum, customer success or retention. That's a mouthful. And hello <laughs> at thecourseconsultant.com. 
Perfect. And again, if you go to the devmethod.com slash blog, you will get the recaps and all the links and the ways to connect with these awesome people. What a wonderful, fun, jam-packed hour. Thank you so much, Chris, Melody, and Orly. Uh, what final thought would you like to leave our, our audience with? Chris, final thought? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like what my, my final thought is always compare like what you're afraid of doing or like the, the, the worst case of what you're afraid of doing with where you are now. So tying it back to my, my reach out goal where it's like, oh, like I'm worried if I reach out to the, the VP of sales of this company that they, they won't respond or they won't, you know, they won't say yes. Well, how is that really any different from where you're sitting today? Right? Like right now they haven't responded and they haven't said yes. So you know, really consider like what that worst case is. And then most of the time it's actually really not that bad. So then go out and do it, right? Use that to, to motivate you. So there's my, my two cents there. Yes, because if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Melody, what is your final thought? Yeah, I would say go and find your diamonds. There's a lot of people out there who uh, want to know your ideas, your thoughts, your process, and you are the solution to their problem and your service or your offer will help them. So if you find those people, take all the great testimonials, take the feedback too, but always remember that those diamonds are out there waiting for you. Nice. And Orly, what's your final thought? So because I'm a storyteller, I would say my final thought is um, write down your story and then find out, um, you know, kind of get, get that down to a few sentences that kind of encapsulate that story and then try it out on people and see who it really resonates with. Um, because I think having, having a story that resonates is really the first step to engagement. Really? Good point and an excellent way to end this fabulous conversation. Thank you again, Chris Cherian, Melody Johnson, and Orly Zili for joining me today and talking about turning ideas into action. And if you're tuning in or listening, thank you for choosing yourself and your goals. Uh, go on out there, go for it, because we know you can do it. Thanks for listening to The Dev Show. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Need more inspiration and motivation? Connect with me on LinkedIn, follow at The Dev Method on social media, and check out thedevmethod.com. Best of luck with your goals, and remember, you can do it. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.